The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture reading is from the book of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of God for the people of God. All right, friends. Well, we're looking at the Gospel of John. Um, so I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 14. This morning we'll be primarily in chapters 14, 15, and 16, this part of John called the Farewell Discourse, where we hear what Jesus says to his disciples on his way to the cross. If you're using one of the Bibles, you'll find under your seat, it's page 847 uh, in that little Bible. We're in this series called the Gospel of John B-Sides. We've already listened to the whole album. Now we're going back and listening to our favorite tracks, right? Some of the themes that John really wants to emphasize in this gospel. And last week we talked about God the Father. Uh, this week we're going to continue in a Trinitarian way by looking at God the Holy Spirit. And as you might imagine, what are we talking about next week? God the Son, yeah, that's next week. Um, so we're going to do the Trinitarian themes here in the beginning of May. Um, every time I sort of think about this church and what God has done and is doing here, um, I'm reminded of the very earliest days of Cormdale Church. I brought along a photo. So that's in year one of Cormdale. That's about the size of an intro gospel community now. There's about 50-ish people in that room. Uh, this is downtown in the old market, right off the brick streets. You can see I was just sitting on a stool up there with a whiteboard. That's how the sermons used to go. And in this particular meeting space, there was lots of zany stuff that always used to happen. There were two reasons for that. One, we were a young church still figuring out what we were doing. And two, it was downtown. And a lot of crazier stuff happens downtown than on 87th and Pacific, all right? So people would wander in off the streets. I mean, every week there was just someone there who you're like, I don't know where this person came from, don't know who they're connected to. It was great. It was really fun. It had a real sort of uh, vibrant ethos the church did, but there was always a lot of unknowns. But one particular week I had finished preaching. We were in the part of the service where we uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. Jared Strock and the team were up there uh, leading worship and I was serving communion. And so I'm holding a, a loaf of bread and a chalice of wine in the other hand. 
This woman comes through the communion line. I hadn't seen her before. She wasn't familiar to me. I wasn't sure if she'd come with someone or whatever. So total, total stranger to me. And uh, she takes communion. And as she's sort of passing by and getting ready to go back to her seat, she turns to me and she says, do you believe in the Holy Ghost? And I was like, yes, absolutely, right? We're Trinitarian. We do believe in the Holy Ghost. And then she goes, good, because I've got a word from the Lord for you. Now, maybe this has happened to you. This is always a challenging moment. There are two, because this could always go either way, right? In this moment, oftentimes, somebody's going to say something really meaningful and profound and actually that, that is like God speaking to me. And other times... Weird stuff is going to get said that I'm not sure where to file it, right? And so maybe this has happened to you. It was that moment where I was like, ah, what do I do right now? And what's weird is it's like in the middle of communion. So there's people lined up behind her, sort of waiting to move on. And so it's like, well, I guess we're all going to have a word from the Lord right here. And so she proceeded to give me four or five sentences that were, you know, this word from the Lord. Um, I don't remember it being particularly specific or registering to me as any kind of like particular word. It was sort of a general thing that almost anyone could have agreed with. I was like, okay. And so we went on with communion. And it was just one of those moments in my soul that maybe this has happened to you in your experience also. If you've been around Christianity long at all, you've had one of these moments where it's like somebody's going to give you a word from the Lord and you're like, I don't know what's coming next. What made it especially awkward, right, is it's, it's always better in that moment if you know this person. If there's a sense of like, oh, I know this person. They're part of our church family, or I trust them, or they sort of have a connection with me. When it's a total stranger, that can go any direction, right? So as you think about talking about God, the Holy Spirit, there's probably a few of those moments in your experience where you're like, yeah, some weird stuff has happened occasionally, and it got attributed to the Holy Spirit, and I'm not sure where to file that, right? Now, at the same time, there have also been moments in this church where God has done really profound things. Like there are people sitting in this room this morning who have come forward for prayer at some various season in the life of our church, asked us to pray for physical healing. We've laid hands on them and prayed for that. And God has actually healed them. Like I can introduce you to actual people who can say, yep, I went to my doctor the next week and they couldn't find anything. They were surprised and amazed at the fact that the thing we talked about the week before was no longer there. So that's actually happened. And again, if you've been around the church long enough, you probably have both of these experiences. Some experiences in the name of the Holy Spirit that seem like, I'm not sure where to file that. Some experiences are like, yep, there was a profound experience of God's presence that I can point to and that happened or that happened to someone that I know. I, I suspect that's sort of what rises up in your soul as we talk about, all right, we're going to talk about God, the Holy Spirit. And I suspect also that if you're at all like me, one of your deepest sins is probably the sin of self-reliance. We are Americans after all. We are self-made, independent, responsible people. Um, it's interesting that we pray every week, give us this day our daily bread. Most of us could probably go a month on what you have in the pantry and the fridge right now, if you had to, Right? So there's this sense in which I'm not sure that we live with a sense of moment by moment, real dependence on God. You might ask, someone asked me this question one time and I found it really profound. The question is this, if God withdrew his Holy Spirit from the world tomorrow, what would that change for you? And oftentimes the honest answer is it wouldn't change much. You might be able to go on with your life as it is, barely realizing 
the absence of the Holy Spirit. So what I long for us this morning as we think about John's teaching about the Holy Spirit, I just long for us to have a deeper hunger for the presence and power of God. I think we're a church that loves the gospel. I think we are a church that loves the Bible. I think we are a church that loves our city and loves representing Jesus in our city. But I wonder if we lack a deep sense of hunger for the presence of God. Like when was the last time your gospel community said, hey, let's, let's get on our knees together and just cry out to God for revival? When's the last time you had such a hunger for the word of God and to think and talk about God that the latest Netflix show or the latest news cycle just really wasn't that interesting to you? Or when was the last time you had such a deep sense of your sin and unworthiness, but at the same time such a deep sense of God's grace and kindness that the gospel just sort of broke in on you with fresh power. That's what I want to see God do among us and in me. I don't want comfortable middle-class Christianity. I hope you don't either, right? What I want is awakening and hunger and a sense of the presence and power of God. And that kind of hunger, that kind of renewal is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look today at what the gospel of John teaches us about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look specifically at John's teaching on the Holy Spirit. There are many other places we could go in the Bible to learn about the Holy Spirit, but since we're sort of thinking about the gospel of John, we're going to dwell there. And there are four things John wants us to know about the Holy Spirit, and here they are. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit separates. The Holy Spirit speaks. And the Holy Spirit strengthens. So that's what we're going to consider this morning, the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit separates, the Holy Spirit speaks, and the Holy Spirit strengthens. And I hope that as we do this, our affections will be raised to worship the Holy Spirit, and I hope our hunger will be raised for the ministry and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, we're going to be all over the Gospel of John, but primarily in these chapters 14, 15, and 16. Let's look, first of all, at the reality, the truth, that the Holy Spirit is God. Remember, in this section of John, we have Jesus speaking to his disciples about his departure. He's saying to them, hey, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to be raised from the dead, and I'm going to send back to the Father, and then the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. And so he's preparing them for life in the absence of the physical, material presence of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in John 14, verse 16. He says to his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you, catch this, another helper to be with you forever. In other words, Jesus is the first helper, the original helper that's been present with the disciples. And Jesus is saying, the Father's going to send you another helper equal to Jesus, who's going to help the disciples in the same way Jesus did. Later on in verse 26 of the same chapter, Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So notice in this verse, we see the Father is going to send forth the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus or with the authority of Jesus or on behalf of Jesus. And then in chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says this, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
So in these three verses, here's what we learn. The Spirit is sent by both the Father and the Son. The Spirit speaks with the same authority as the Father and the Son. And the Spirit comes to take over and do the same work that the Son has been doing. We have here the basic doctrine of the Trinity. As Christians, we confess that there is one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who alike share the same divine essence. And that is what John is showing us about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. When we talk about the Spirit, and when Jesus and the Scriptures talk about the Spirit, here's what you will notice. They make a distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in terms of their operations, or their work in the world, or how they work out the plan of redemption in our lives and in the world. So there are things particular to the Father, things particular to the Son, things particular to the Spirit. However, when it comes to their nature, their essence, we are talking about the one God. So we can make a distinction in terms of the operations of each person of the Trinity, but when we are led to worship any one person of the Trinity, we are worshiping the whole Trinity, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so as Christians, as we often profess, we pray to the Holy Spirit, we worship the Holy Spirit, we praise the Holy Spirit, and in doing so, we are praising and worshiping and giving glory to God. So you might ask for yourself, do you worship the Holy Spirit as God? When you think of the Holy Spirit, are you thinking of the person of God? Is he worthy of glory and praise and honor? Do you relate to the Holy Spirit the same way you relate to the Father and the Son? The Spirit is God. And, and part of our longing here at Quarmdale and how we build our public worship services and the songs we sing and then the confessions we use and in the professions of faith that we speak together, we're just trying to, to reiterate the fact that Christianity is a Trinitarian faith. We want to be talking about the person and work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and regularly reminding ourselves of the glory of God as a triune being. So the first thing John wants us to see is that the Holy Spirit is God, please remember this. I know that we have our shorthand in ways we talk, but we've all seen Star Wars way too much. Sometimes when you all talk about the Spirit, it's like we're talking about the Force be with you. That's not who the Holy Spirit is, all right? The Holy Spirit is God, a person, the same God who created the world. Let's be sure that we are Trinitarian and worshiping the Spirit as God. John goes on now to show us what the Holy Spirit does. And the first thing we see is that the Holy Spirit separates or makes a distinction. Notice again, John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice that there is a distinction. There is a separation here. Jesus says, you, my disciples, know him and he dwells in you. However, the world cannot receive him, cannot see him, cannot know him. The Holy Spirit separates God's people from the world. The way you know that you are a Christian is that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you and has separated you from the world. There is an old you 
and there is a new you. There is the person you once were, and there is the person that you now are. And you know this has happened because your desires change, your loves change, your values change, the things you care most deeply about change, your longings change. You find in yourself a longing to know God and worship God and be like God and obey God and follow God. Those longings didn't exist in you before the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. Why does this change happen? Because God, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling in you and changing you from the inside out. So let's be clear, you can be a Christian socially without being a Christian spiritually, right? You can profess the Christian faith without having been possessed by and dwelt by the Spirit of God, without God taking hold of you from the inside. And so one of the most important things all of us can ask and wrestle with is this question, am I merely a Christian socially? Do I merely identify with and hang out with Christian people? Or am I a Christian spiritually? Has the Spirit of God really come to live in me? Has my life, my desires, my longings, my inner being been changed and transformed? Because God has taken up residence in me by his spirit. That's true Christianity. That's biblical Christianity. And I know in our world, uh, and in really, it's been true throughout history, right? That Christianity is also a social reality. And so you can identify with the people of God socially. But the most important question we can ask is, am I a Christian spiritually? Has the Holy Spirit come to dwell in me? As Jesus said to Nicodemus, right? You must be born again. There's something that has to happen in you for you to know Christ and become a Christian. That something is the Spirit taking up residence in you. So what we see here is the Holy Spirit separates God's people from the world. There's a clean, bright line between the people who belong to God and the rest of the world. The Spirit dwells in you, Jesus says, but the world cannot receive the Spirit. So wrestle with this question. Do you belong to God? Has the Spirit taken up residence in you? Now, by the way, this separation does not make you weird, okay? This is what the, what the weird thing Christians do with this is like, because we've been separated from the world, we should just stay separate. You guys go to your corner and we'll hang out over here in our corner, right? That's not the life Jesus is teaching his disciples to live. In fact, what he's saying is the Spirit's going to take up residence in you so that you can go be salt and light in the world, so that you can love your neighbor as yourself, so that you can live for my glory, rubbing up against real non-Christians in the world who don't love me, who live for different things, who love different things. But my goal is that you would be my hands and feet in that world. So this separation isn't some weird, like, hey, let's go in our own little corner over here and hang out with just Christians. It is an internal separation that says, because the Spirit lives in me, now I can live in the same world differently. I don't need to get out of the world so I stay away from all those worldly influences. What I need is to be possessed, inhabited by the Spirit of God so that I can live in the world, but see the world through the, way, the eyes of God. See the world the way Christ sees the world. Have the love for the world that Christ does for the world. The first thing the Spirit does is he separates the people of God, from the world. So let us wrestle with that question, each of us. Has that happened in us, to us? Have we been acted upon by the Spirit of God? The second thing John shows us is that the Holy Spirit speaks. Catch this, John chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus says this to his disciples. I still have many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. How will he do that? Well, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Notice the emphasis on speaking and declaring. You might say it this way. The Spirit has a voice. The Spirit speaks. One of the reasons Jesus has given the Holy Spirit is that he might speak and declare God's truth to us. How does this happen? Well, there are a few different ways. First of all, the Holy Spirit speaks in Scripture. Remember that the original hearers of this promise, the original people Jesus is speaking to, are his disciples, the apostles, who became the authors of the New Testament, the ones who wrote down this record of Jesus' life and teachings, including John, who's writing this book that we're reading now. So when Jesus says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to declare to you what is to come, the first application of that promise is that's how we got the Bible. Like, why do we believe this is the Word of God? Not because it's a little better than Harry Potter, <laughs> but rather because this was the, the promise, this promise Jesus made is fulfilled here. Like, the Spirit has spoken these words to the apostles, and therefore the Spirit speaks in Scripture. The first place we always look for the voice of the Holy Spirit is, what does the book say? What does the Word say? That's the first place where the Holy Spirit speaks. Then, additionally, the Holy Spirit speaks through Scripture. Like, like it's not true that this is just a, 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 a book that the Holy Spirit spoke in and about years ago, but now we just sort of have to read it and do the best we can. Rather, the reality is when we read the Scriptures... The Holy Spirit speaks through the scriptures. You know this because you've all had the experience where you've been reading the Bible and suddenly, man, something stands out to you. Some promise that God has made has new power suddenly in your life or you come upon a verse that feels like it speaks directly to your experience. When that happens, what is happening? The Spirit is speaking through the word to you, right? Not only does it happen when you read the word, it happens when we gather together and hear the word of God preached. Why does Protestant Christianity especially place great emphasis on the sermon, on the preached word? Well, quite simply because the preaching of the word of God is the word of God, right? Like when we hear the scriptures taught, God, the Holy Spirit is speaking through his word. This is uh, why we saw a few weeks ago, if you were here, that video um, about church planting. You remember there was a guy in that video, Adam Matassab, who's planting a church in Baltimore. And the story he told was, you know, I grew up Muslim, uh, heard the gospel, became a Christian, started reading the Bible, got to the book of Acts. And what I read in the book of Acts is the Christians planted churches. And the Holy Spirit used that to uh, provoke me and to speak to me and say, maybe that's what I should be doing. Maybe that's what I should give my life to. What's happening at Adam's life in that moment? What's happening is the Spirit is speaking to him through the scriptures. Right? Like he's reading the scriptures and going, oh, this is a word for me. This is the basic assumption of how we understand the Bible. The Bible is the word of God, the inspired, the authoritative word of God. Why? Again, not just because it's a good book or a great story, but because the spirit speaks through the scripture. The spirit speaks in the scripture. The spirit speaks to us to, through the scripture. And finally, the spirit speaks through people guided by the scriptures, right? One of the unique things we see 
in the Bible is that because the Spirit lives in all of the people of God, go back to that idea of separating the people of God from the world, because the Holy Spirit dwells in every Christian, here's what that means. God can speak to you through any Christian who is applying the Scriptures and guided by the Scriptures. How do you know it's the voice of the Holy Spirit? Because it lines up with the Word, right? When someone says something to you that's, oh yeah, that's, that's in line with Scripture, That's the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking in your life through people. Last Thursday morning, I got a call from a friend. The call went like this. Hey, man, how's it going? Pretty good. I'm walking the dog. That's what I was doing when I got the phone call. I was like, cool. We had had a conversation the day before. He said, hey, yesterday when we were talking, just wanted you to know that one thing you said, it kind of came across kind of sharp. And I just felt that in the moment. And I thought you'd want to know that. I don't think you meant it that way, but it felt a little sharp. What was that? It was the Holy Spirit speaking to me through my friend. You know how I know that? Because as soon as he said that, I was like, oh yeah, I remember when I said that. And I kind of felt it in the moment like, ooh, that might've come across a different than I intended. Right? So he calling me and saying, yep, that happened is confirmation of what I sensed the Spirit was provoking in the moment of like, yeah, that probably has a little sharp there. So I just said, hey man, would you forgive me? And he was like, yep. And that's kind of all I was calling for. And that was the end of our phone call. Right? (laughs) You know what that is? That's just Christians being Christians. Like those conversations should be happening normally and naturally in our lives. Why? Because this is how the spirit works on us. It's through one another. As we say, hey, this is a place where you offended me or I felt sinned against or hey, I want you to hear a word from the Lord or hey, I, got a, I was encouraged by something in the scriptures and I want to share it with you, right? These are all ways where the spirit speaks to us through people applying, guided by the scriptures. So the spirit speaks. John wants us to understand the ministry of the Spirit is a declaring, speaking, word kind of ministry. And for that reason, let me just encourage you, let's then be a little more careful, a little more cautious about the way we use the phrase, you know, I just sense the Lord calling me to X. Right? Because don't we use that phrase when really what we mean is, I'm over-spiritualizing my own intuition. I mean, really, we do that. Don't act like we don't. Like sometimes when you say, hey, I think the Lord's calling me to this, it's because you're really expressing something you sense the spirit provoking in you that's grounded in the word. And other times when you say, I think the Lord's calling me to X, it's just because you know that's a good way among Christians to make sure there's no debate. (laughs) Don't pretend you haven't done that. I think the Lord's calling me to, you know, end my friendship with you. Okay, well, I guess the Lord's calling that, right? Like, we we do weird things with these phraseology. So, as Christians, if we want to honor and value the voice and the work of the Holy Spirit, let's be careful. Let's make sure that when we say the Lord's calling me to something, right? I sense the Lord's speaking something to me, that we're grounding it in the Word and in prayer, and that we expect Him to confirm that or disaffirm that through His people, right? If the Spirit has called you to do something that only you think, and that is not affirmed by anyone around you, be very skeptical of whether that's the Spirit, right? All right. Third, the Holy Spirit strengthens. The Holy Spirit strengthens. Uh, Many of you know, I told this story a few months ago, but back last September, I had to have back surgery. Uh, I had an extruded disc in my back, super painful, uh, went to the doctor. They're like, yep, yeah, the only thing we can do for this is surgery. So they scheduled me for surgery. I just, a woman came up to me after the 9 a.m. service and was like, hey, I'm having that same surgery tomorrow. So apparently there's more of you out there that have had this thing. I know that. 
Uh, but yesterday I was across the street chatting with my neighbor. He was like, hey man, how's your back? My answer is, it's weak. Like it's, it's healed, but it's not strong yet, right? Like I, I still have a ways to go, do some strengthening and rehab exercises before it feels strong. So it doesn't feel terrible, but it also doesn't feel great. It feels weak, right? My back is healed, but it's weak. Well, in the same way, the Bible talks about Christians who really have been healed by the Spirit but can still be weak, right? The Bible talks about weak Christians and strong Christians. It uses metaphors like a child growing up to adulthood or a seed growing into a tree. The idea here is all of us have areas in our discipleship to Christ where we are weaker than we should be and we need to be strengthened. All of us have places where our convictions about God and about truth are weaker than they should be and they need to be strengthened. All of us have places where our trust and our hope is weak and it needs to be strengthened. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, this work of strengthening, this work of taking people who are immature and weak and building them up so that they are strong. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Look again at John 16, verse 13. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, notice first of all, he's called the spirit of truth. Three times in all three passages. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. Notice that idea that the spirit will guide you into all truth. The assumption is truth exists but sometimes you need to be guided into it, right? In other words, you're not always just going to magically arrive at the truth yourself. You need a helper to guide you into the truth. John is speaking here of the Spirit's work of strengthening, helping us grow up into the truth. People who love the truth, believe the truth, are convicted about the truth, and live in the truth. The battle in your soul and in mine and the battle in the world around us is always the battle between the truth and the lie. Think about this. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies. The reason is because Satan has no creative power. Satan has never created anything. God is the creator who spoke the world into existence, who created everything that is from nothing. God is the creator. All that evil can do is twist and distort what already is. Take something good and twist it and distort it. That's what evil does, is takes good and corrupts it. Evil is by nature a corrupting force. So the Holy Spirit strengthens us by guiding us into truth, or to say it another way, by making truth real. Making truth real to us. Because here's how faith works. This is why um, walking with Christ is challenging. Here's why. Because faith looks like this. God has made promises to his people in scripture. Our job is to grab hold of those promises, count them as true, and then actually build our lives on them. What it means to not be a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you either don't count God's promises as true, or you just don't build your life on them. You might think they're true, but you just don't do anything about it. What a Christian does is to believe the promises of God and count them as true and actually build my life on them. The Holy Spirit strengthens us by taking God's promises and bringing them home to our souls, making them real to us. Like making us actually feel the weight and the power and the truthfulness of them. 
When you were sitting here last week and we were talking about God as our Father in heaven. And if you felt at some point in that worship service a sense of like, oh yeah, God really is my Father. I really am his son or daughter. I really do belong to him. What's happening in that moment is the Spirit is doing this work of guiding you into truth, of taking a promise that God says is true and bringing it home to your soul in a way that has force and power that feels like, oh yeah, I need to rest in that. That's true of me. That promise is true for me. That's what the Holy Spirit does to strengthen weak Christians, to grow up immature Christians into maturity, and to ground us in truth and in grace. This is the work of the Spirit. 400 years ago, John Owen wrote this about the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit's work to the end of the world, to bring the promises of Christ to our minds and hearts, to give us the comfort of them, the joy and sweetness of them. When the soul begins to feel the life of a promise warming his heart, relieving, cherishing, supporting, delivering from fear, entanglements, or troubles, then the Holy Ghost is there. Catch that. When the soul begins to feel the life of a promise warming his heart, then the Holy Ghost is there. What he's saying is, yeah, there's promises. Those are on a page in the Bible. Cool. When you read those promises and you start to feel like, oh, that's encouraging. Like, that's for me. That's God speaking a word to my discouragement or to my trouble or to the situation I'm in. This is God promising me his grace. When you feel that happening in you, guess what's happening? The Holy Spirit is at work. And that leads you into fellowship and joy in the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He strengthens us by strengthening faith. And he strengthens faith by taking God's promises and making them real to us. This is what the Christian life looks like and how it works. So I want us to do two things with this this morning. What does the Spirit do? Well, he separates us, sets us apart, strengthens us, and whatever the third thing I said is what speaks to us. I always, I always forget my points when I roll into a moment like that. <laughs> so here's what I want us to do. I want us, first of all, to worship the Spirit. Like, just praise Him. Just honor Him. Let's just celebrate that the Holy Spirit is God. And that what's doing this, what's strengthening us and separating us and speaking to us is not some force from Star Wars. It's the person of God Himself. Let's just worship the Spirit. Praise Him. And then the second thing I want us to do is just welcome the Spirit. Welcome His presence in our lives. Welcome his presence in our church. Welcome his presence in your household, in your gospel community, in your relationships. I just want us to posture ourselves in a place that says, yep, Spirit, you're, you're welcome here. Come and work. Come and renew us. Come and awaken us. Come and remind us of who you are, of the promises you've made. The primary exhortation surrounding the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians This little short verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 is this. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. That's your job. Your job, Christian, is don't quench the Spirit. Why that? Because as you know, one of the primary metaphors or images for the Holy Spirit in the Scripture is fire. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Tongues of fire descended on the early church. 
We always focus on the tongues. We don't think about the fire, right? Here's what's true of fire. It can either be quenched or it can be stoked, right? It can either be put out or it can be given life. It can be tended. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit. Let's ask for more of his grace and power in our lives. Let's ask the fire of his presence and of his work in us and among us to be strengthened. Can we do that as we pray together? Holy Spirit, we worship you, praise you this morning as one with the Father and the Son who deserves our glory, our praise, our honor, our adoration, and our worship. And so we worship you. And then also we welcome you. We welcome you in our lives. Come meet us in the places where we are discouraged, disheartened, confused, angry. Come meet us and bring the sweetness and the joy and the grace of your promises again to our hearts. We welcome you among us in our church and in our relationships and in the community that we're trying to build here and the mission that we're trying to carry forward. Forgive us for our self-reliance, for the ways we tend to be self-dependent. Increase in us a sense of dependence on you, a sense of yieldedness to you, a sense of delight in you. Provoke us where we need to repent for our self-trust. Awaken a new sense of hope and trust and dependence on you. Stir up in us a greater dependence, we pray, for our good and for the glory of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.